Are you working so hard at your financial brand to acquire new accounts, but you feel like you're losing them as fast as you gain them? Do you even know how many account holders you might be losing each day, each week, each month, each quarter, or each year? Now, if you don't, your bank credit and your fintech might have an account holder retention problem. Furthermore, you're not alone. You're not alone because I know so many financial brands struggle with account holder engagement and retention. And I say engagement because a lack of engagement will lead to a lack of retention. But I have good news for you today. That's because on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast, we're going to talk through how you can apply practical ways to stop losing the accounts that you're working so hard to gain and so hard to acquire. Greetings and hello, my name is James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and joining me for today's conversation is Kelly Chambers. Kelly is a content strategist and writer who transforms financial brands into trusted experts, and today, Kelly and I are going to talk through some of the biggest gaps that he sees when it comes to account holder retention along with some of the biggest opportunities that are there for you to stop losing the accounts that you're working so hard to acquire at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Kelly. It is great to share time with you today. Likewise, James, Robert, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And before we get into talking through some of the biggest challenges and opportunities that financial brands have when it comes to retaining accounts, what is good in your world? What's positive right now, personally or professionally, does your pick to get started? Ooh, uh, professionally, I get to work with a lot of different clients, B2B, B2C, um, fintechs, traditional, love that, keeps me going. Personally, I got two young kids and they're doing great. So got my hands full there and I'm thankful for it. Absolutely. And when, when the kids are, are happy and healthy, it always makes the work that we're doing professionally that much better. Um, and, and you think about this idea of retaining accounts just like we want happy and healthy kids. We also want happy and healthy account holders. Uh, I want to start off on the challenges here um, when it comes to retaining accounts, because if you think about it costs at least $300, if not upwards of seven, dollars $900 to acquire a new account. What, what are financial brands struggling the most with right now when it comes to retention? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things and it's, you know, I do see it uh, specific to different institutions where they're at, especially on their technology journey and with data and AI now, right? Um, so that is, you know, one of the obvious is having the data and the technology to implement something, especially as you grow, that you can automate. Um, but I think leaning into something you brought up, you, you know, you can't talk about retention without talking about acquisition. And I think those two aren't connected enough um, so if you look at a retention strategy for a member or a customer at a credit union or bank, um, you need to understand kind of two things really well on the acquisition side. You know, in terms of the individual, your target market, understanding where they came from before, um, the content they interacted with, yours, but also your competitors, what their expectations were before they even opened the account, their technology expectations, the technology they had been using, um, maybe at a prior bank or prior fintech 
uh, and the product expectation. So that's all coming in on the acquisition side and understanding that from what their experience was uh, and their expectations. And then also on the kind of financial side for your institution, understanding um, what did it cost acquisition-wise to bring in, and then use the understanding those economics to actually build a retention strategy that makes sense financially. So if you're a CMO or a VP of marketing, you can sit down with the CFO or your CEO and have that conversation both on the experience you're trying to build to retain, but also financially how that's gonna impact your institution. So at a high level, you have to balance both of those things. I think a lot of times, um, especially small institutions, the financial side you know, is either handled by a CFO or an afterthought in terms of the marketing team. So I would juggle both of those two things as kind of high level challenges to make sure that you create a profitable, sustainable retention program. It's interesting you talk about the idea of expectation expectation leads is closely connected with experience previous experiences for that matter what's a common mis- misconception that financial brand leaders might have about expectations experiences particularly community financial brands because we know through the work that we've been doing here particularly benchmarking the acquisition side through website secret shopping studies that there's a perception gap on we'll call it kind of the top of the funnel but we also know that there could be a perception gap post-conversion retention as well what's a misconception that is costing these financial brands millions in loans and deposits from a retention standpoint yeah i think so understanding where they came from, um, a lot of us, it's human nature to make assumptions or think, you know, everyone is like us, right? So especially if you've been working at your institution for, you know, 20 years um, and you bank with your institution, right? And you're used to the services you have, even if you are further along your digital journey, you may, especially if you're bringing in younger members or, or customers, um, you may assume that you have all the tools that they need, Right. Um, and, or if you have something like, um, say mobile deposit, you may think your mobile deposit works just like some of the best fintechs, you know, in the world. So I would, instead of assuming that you have the right tools, even if, if you side by side as a checklist do, I would go explore what those tools really look and feel like, um, you know, so when consumers are, are shopping for financial products, you understand the experience that your competitor is offering. Um, that's a great so point. That's a, that's a great yeah. point. I want to hop in on this because you talk about going and exploring. What do you mean by that? That's why I wanted to pause you because when working with financial brands, particularly with executive teams and even boards of directors, I asked them, how many of you have ever opened an account or applied for a loan at, we'll just call it a quote unquote, a digital first organization, a digital first institution. And even in 2024, that number, that percent is is extremely small, frighteningly so, because you don't know what you don't know. And you and I could tell them what that experience is like. We could put screenshots up on a screen. But until they do that themselves, why is that important for them to actually go through the process themselves versus reading about it in a report 
seeing some screenshots. What's the difference here? Because we, we, I think we really have to go deeper into the psychology. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that if I could say, if you could do one form of competitive research in the world, that would be it. It would be to secret shop, whatever you want to call it, fintech apps, the best in the world in terms of a check, pick the product, checking mortgage, whatever it is, and go experience that because it is a like physical and mental experience that if you see a checking account funded in six minutes, you may be able to open your account in six minutes, but if you actually see checking account and a virtual card set up in six minutes and you haven't experienced that before, it will kind of stop you in your tracks. And then if you see over the next week, the onboarding experience those firms have built out, that will also give you major pause, even though if you don't have comparable things built in place to create that experience. Um, yeah, so I would say that's like the number one form of competitive research if you could only pick one thing. Also, because it's the easiest to do. It yeah. doesn't cost you a yeah. It's It's an interesting point you make about gaining this perspective, perspective being the sum of context and framing through different product line experiences, whether that's checking, credit card, mortgage, auto, SMB. I mean, we know the portfolio mix, if you will, is about five different primary products. But why should we be thinking product-specific experiences when it comes to retention versus the traditional, you know, new account holder onboarding program? Yeah, I think there's a balance there because you are trying to create a holistic experience. But really, when you look at consumers in the market, um, they are trying to solve a very specific need. There's a framework called jobs to be done. Maybe some of you have heard of that. Um, they are trying to solve a problem, do a job. So that could be getting a checking account because they're, they don't have one maybe. So they need to have a debit card so they can buy things. Right. And that is the, the short-term goal. That is what you need to try to optimize for. Um, and do that in a really human way with both people and technology, bringing those two together. Um, so there's a much different experience for, you know, a 35-year-old couple who's buying a house and needs a mortgage and has never done that before versus the 22-year-old trying to get a checking account in six minutes, right? Um, so products do really matter. I think that to lean into that, that is where the digital banks and fintechs um, truly do excel. And they're not robotic and inhumane about it. They're actually creating wonderful experiences and integrating human touch points too, whether that be, be phone call or chat with a human or email. Um, so bringing that together and understanding the short term, I think definitely start with the product. And then as someone comes into your institution, open that up and use that as a platform to introduce them to all the other problems they're going to have um, and build, engage and build trust over time. So You've brought up this word a couple of times human, human experience, human touch point. Um, Important, right? Yeah. With well, AI, you never know. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think it presents a bit of a paradox because a lot of times when we think about whether it's acquisition or retention and we're thinking quote unquote digital first, the perspective once again of, of leadership is, oh, well, it's a hundred percent pure play digital where does humanity fit into this? And, and because a lot of our time is spent in the acquisition side with website secret shopping studies, 
we know that the most influential source, quote unquote, channel in a buying journey is actually connecting with another human being as quick as humanly possible. Whether that that interface is face-to-face in the branch experience, um, a call through the, through the contact center, um, chat, email, it doesn't matter the, 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 the channel or the medium in which the human connection is made, but I want to get your take from a, a retention standpoint of the role of humanity here as part of onboarding, retention, creating additional value for the account holder, which then in result creates additional value for the financial brand. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. I think, you know, the, there's probably a lot of institutions taking this approach. Maybe you've heard of the two by two, yep. by two, you know, two day, two week, two month. Yep. Right. Especially at the branch level, you know, and, and that's great. Like having whoever in the branch open up an account, do that. But to layer on, especially the digital experience, whether it was a branch account opening or or a fully digital account opening, um, like if we just get really simple, like tactics that someone could implement, listen to this podcast and go do, like if you send your welcome email, whether it's products specific or not from your CEO or from a VP or from your head of your call center, like start to put a face to a brand really quickly. I think small institutions, community banks, credit unions, pride themselves on that. So every touch point you possibly can put a face on that communication. Um, I, I've seen almost every time, you know, unless you overdo it and every single marketing email is from the person, um, you know, if you do that wisely, it's almost always going to outperform from an engagement standpoint and from driving more, you know, products at the end of the day. I want to, I want to pause you on this point because it's easy to kind of like just glaze over this. If you're watching or listening, come back communication coming from a human being a person at the financial brand putting a face on it perhaps even adding video to that mm-hmm. super tactical but the from addressing the email being an actual person at the organization the from name being an actual person at the organization because I can tell you from doing some of that top of funnel website secret shopping, when we see the conversion point of the initial, great, you've completed the application. Like that's like the low hanging fruit. And we're not even getting as deep as what you're doing with, with seeing that all the way through on the other side. I know there's a common misconception that financial brand leaders have of they're afraid. They're afraid of, over communicating. They're afraid of quote unquote spamming these new accounts, these new relationships during the the onboarding period. Could it be their own bias, their own perception getting in the way that is actually doing more harm than good? Um, As part of an account opening experience, we looked at some communication from Chime. Chime sent like 15 emails in the first 30 days. And the exit part of the survey with, with this cohort that, that we were facilitating, we said, listen, 15 emails. How'd that make you feel? It was an open-ended. 85% felt very positive of the communication cadence because it provided them with clarity. It provided them with a sense of where they're at. 
it wasn't putting everything all in one message and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this all in one. It was, it was broken up. It was more sustainable. It was essentially what BJ Fogg writes about in his book, tiny habits, you know, in informing and influencing behavior, where might the concern of over communication spamming and that bias might be doing more harm than good? Yeah. I think generally speaking, that is a a fear that if you have that fear, take a breath and let it go. If you can Mm. just let it go. Um, You mentioned chime. So a thing on chime, I've shopped all these, these apps. Um, I've worked in FinTech. Um, Chime's first main message comes from their CEO. Their CEO's name is in that from line, right? Um, Chime, SoFi, you go down the list. Um, I've worked, you know, at small startups. I've worked at Betterment, larger startup or larger FinTech. And the common thread with onboarding communications is the first week, sometimes it is every single day, and sometimes it's more than once a day. The thing is it being very specific and strategic at what you're communicating. You're really trying to create an experience for them um, and show and create small wins for these new customers and members. Um, every communication you send through that first 90 days, well, really for eternity, but especially the first week and into the first 90 days, you want to have a small win where they are doing something that they feel good about that interaction. Um, examples of that could be, you know, like obviously you want to get people to fund their account and to take those, you know, operational things that create value for, for you and that consumer. Um, but engage people with things like checklists, quizzes, videos, you said was a huge one. I've seen a lot of success when I've tested video that are, you know, one to two minutes long, um, with your staff in them. And they don't have to be highly produced, especially in social media age. Right. And in fact, the more genuine, the better. Um, right. And so creating, getting creative with the content, but not just for creative sake, um, you know, going down that marketing rabbit hole, the, the fun side of it, being creative in a way to uh, tap into the kind of like that psychological, you know, feeling that people have when they interact with a game or social media, uh, the good side of social media. So creating small wins for people as they experience things with you. Um, I'll give you another kind of tactical, but just a, for example, if you have a, a, a email in your first week and you're trying to educate people on how to use your digital banking, don't just say, here's their FAQs. You could actually turn one of them into a quiz and, and have it be posed as a question um, and then have four links that are multiple choice that people cl- click through. Now they're interacting and engaging with your content like a quiz versus just saying, go read our FAQs. You know, it gets people thinking and also gets them to, like, if you've heard the term, stop the scroll. Yep. Um, you know, stop scrolling through the email, stop scrolling through social media. It gets people engaging and thinking slightly differently. I, I think that's a, a great way to frame this up because it all comes down to what I like to frame as one moment, one message. And perhaps this is a deeper gap that we're seeing through our own going research here at the Digital Growth Institute is, is around consumer journeys, digital consumer journeys, or lack of defined digital consumer journeys is a consumer journey is there to really, I I would say, answer three important strategic questions through the lens and through the perception of the account holder. Question number one is, and and this applies whether you're thinking about like the website, you know, shopping experience or the 
email communication retention experience post-conversion. Question number one is where do you want me to go? Question number two is what do you want me to do when I get there? And then the third one that we don't really think about very often is question number three is how do you want me to feel along the way? And I would say this digital consumer journey gap is, is rooted in the fact that we have found 84% of financial brands have never mapped out their digital consumer journeys. So they've never really thought through the product line experience strategically, that is, when it comes to where do you want me to go? What, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to feel along the way? And that's through the entire experience. The other is more specific to this idea of retention. And that is where 76% of financial brands do not have a defined digital onboarding process for their different product lines. Why? Why, why do we have these gaps even when where we're at today as an industry? That's a big question. It is a big question. And it, it, yeah. these are the questions I like, I like to ask the why. Yeah. Because for those who are watching and listening, I also, if that, if this is you, I want you to ask that question to yourself and others on your team and throughout your organization. Why have we never done this before? From my experience, seeing this on the inside and then the outside working with, with clients, a lot of it is, I don't know if it's rooted in fear, but everyone's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's maybe pl planning, actually have plans to. They're not just doing. I think that's what differentiates, not to get off the topic too much, but differentiates the best traditional FIs, but also the digital banks that are succeeding is the rate at which they, they do things and attempt to change. So if you want to roadmap, your consumer journey, your member journey, your customer journey, and it's in your plan, go do it on a whiteboard in an hour. I guarantee you that'll create more value than the last however many months of planning. Just go do it on a sheet of paper, you know, or just verbally do it, right? There's something, you know, psychological about ripping that Band-Aid off yep. and seeing that this isn't that hard. And maybe the whiteboard session is going to unlock 40% of the total value that any of it will ever unlock before we even start using AI or anything, right? I, and I've seen that. That's true. I've created more value with teams in Excel than once you start pouring in tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in technology investments, because that simple rapid improvement can create that value. So I, the why is hard to answer why they're not, but just go do it and you'll you'll feel better about it. Well, I, I, I'll hypothesize on this and, and I appreciate your perspective here about the whiteboard because the whiteboard, the the analog is still, in my opinion, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful creative tools that we have because it allows us to prototype and to destroy and to create and to recreate without making a significant investment in other areas, whether that's technology, operations, creative messaging, whatever that might be. But you mentioned this idea of doing. That's my other hypothesis is organizations and their teams are so busy getting stuck doing, they do not have the space and time to break free from that season, that cycle of doing, 
to review what they've done, to learn through that experience, and then to think about how they can do even better through the next round of iteration. You you mentioned the the fintechs and the the digitals and the neobanks. That's their default. They 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 naturally cycle through all of these four seasons of exponential growth. As I'm writing about in banking on change, it's just part of their mo. Where when we look at community financial brands who have a an, a, a different way of operating that's been established through a previous experiential context. That previous experiential context though is no longer. I'm not going to say relevant, applicable. It, it, it just, it's too slow for the, the speed at which the world is moving. Technology being the driver, technology influencing consumer behavior, mm-hmm. transforming the competitive landscape, which I'm curious as we start to wrap up. When we think about these gaps, what are the gaps that you're looking for when you go in and you diagnose? account holder retention problems for financial brands. What, what are you trying to find and observe? Yeah, yeah. Well, we hit on a big one is like, what communications are you sending out and, and how many? That's the first gap. If you're sending out like one welcome email and doing your two by two by two, and that's it, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. You know, mm. you can you can work on just by doing more communication and, and trying to do the best job you can at what you're communicating there. Um, another one, a bit more tactical, but highly important, especially for new accounts, is there's something called empty states in an onboarding flow. So an empty state is anytime someone gets to a screen or place in a process where it's it's empty, their account may be empty, they need to fund it, they need to set up a loan payment, or if you've ever set up um, a Dropbox account or a Google storage account, it's literally an empty folder. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways to to make that exciting and feel good and, and nudge people to engage with that. So identifying what are your empty states and how can we get people through those, those states? Because a lot of times that's where people, people get caught up or don't take the necessary next step. So it's more operational, but really important. Otherwise, you know, I think everyone listening to this, if you're at an institution probably, um, you know, has, has struggled at times to get people to fund accounts. That's always hard, even if you have the best tech in the world. So look for empty states. What can you do to get people through that? Um, real, real fast, I want to pause you. I, I'm glad you yeah. brought up the funding side of things because this really does connect the dot between acquisition and retention. You can acquire accounts all day long. You can get conversions through your online application, but that doesn't count for a win. I've been even thinking through a mental model, and I've started talking about this a year ago, looking at the buying journey, not through the traditional awareness, consideration, purchase, adoption, advocacy uh perspective, but really looking at it through different emotive states, because I think emotion plays so much into the way that we shop, the way that we buy, the way that we make decisions, the way that we fund accounts, because yeah, you can get someone there, but just because you got them there doesn't mean that the account is funded. Doesn't mean that you're going to get them to the next step. What can be done to get them over the hump? Because I like the way you framed nudges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think generally speaking, I see there's not enough communication around those points in time. So if you're not communicating it, um, or if you're doing it once, communicate more. And then when you are, that's when you can start. It's it's different by different products, depending on what that empty state is. Um, But using different tools, if you're not, whether that's video, uh, 
FAQs, screenshots, and knowing what your demographic needs. If mm. if your primary account holders are 40 to 60, um, or when I was at a credit union um, a few years back, like a lot of our new accounts were 50 to 75 years old and, you know, the most valuable accounts because they had the most money, right? right? So that was a different experience. Sure. More step-by-step screenshots we had to build out and understand um, versus maybe a more high-tech kind of interactive um you know, experience for a younger demographic. I would also say interject as much as you can, the option to tap into a human, going back to that word, yeah. whether that's a phone number on every email. Like I can't tell you how many emails I get that don't have a way to talk to someone, right? Yes. Um, especially with account funding, you know, so have that. It's not just the email, click here and do it. It's think of all the potential scenarios someone may be in and, and how can you remove that that friction, whatever word you want to use, you know, that may stop them in their tracks. Um, you always want them to be able to, to, to answer their questions if, if something gets in their way. You, you bring such a unique perspective to this because you, you worked within a financial brand, you worked within FinTech. So you have the inner workings, if you will, but I, I really value what you're bringing as the external objective perspective here. If, if you're watching this video, I'm, I'm holding up a, a water bottle. And I think a lot of times what happens, and this is not about condemning anyone. It's just human nature. It's human behavior. I'm, I struggle with this myself with, with my own organization is we get trapped inside the bottle. We are not able to come out from in the bottle to then read what's on the label outside. And by getting this external objective perspective, it helps us become aware of the gaps that we have that are costing us millions, if not tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in loans and deposits over a period of time. And I think that's, that's another question as, as we wrap up. Repeating this process, is this a one and done exercise? Or should this be done in some type of ongoing basis? Because once again, come back to my thesis that exponential changes in technology are driving changes in consumer behavior through their perspective, through their belief systems and structures and their own experiences, particularly with other digital brands, which is driving the change of the competitive landscape. And if we're not being mindful of what's going on in the quote unquote outside world, it's easy to just fall back into the rote, the repeatable, the cave of complacency, which is a very dangerous place to be in a world full of exponential change. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I guess two thoughts come to mind. It's funny you held up the water bottle. It made me think of an analogy I often hear with retention is leaky bucket, mm -hmm. a bunch of holes in your bucket. Yeah. And the way I, I heard that last week, I think I saw it on LinkedIn, and I've heard that over the last decade in financial services. To me, that's the wrong analogy. And it's almost too like you're in the leaky bucket with your members or customers trying to plug holes. So your digital transformation, whatever you want to call it, turns into a checklist. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you plug that hole, but it may be a new hole six months later. I think a better analogy is you're trying to build GPS software. Mm. You have Consumers coming in, they're all trying to get to somewhere different. They're all different. But you need to build one set of software, one experience, 
that can get to every everyone where they want to go safely yeah. and and in a way that they enjoyed that experience. So build GPS software that gets people where they want to go. But then you you can't just stop. You know, you have to maintain that software. MapQuest, I think they still exist, but oh they're Oh my gone. gosh, Matt, you're bringing me back, man. I, re- I remember going to visit credit unions and banks back in the day and I would print out the MapQuest <laughs> with paper. Yeah, exactly. Google and Apple came in because they built an experience and yeah. maps are part of it. So you need to build this experience with that GPS software built into it, right? And so for me, um, like you go to my website, you'll see my process is, I call it the three C's. It's definitely a, a KISS, keep it simple, stupid process um, to iterate, to get to exactly what you're saying, to make sure that you're not, it's not one and done. So first C is collect. You're going to collect the data, the research um, that you need to help make decisions, inform decisions. Third C is create. So if you're talking about creation, uh, retention, go create the emails, the push notifications, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the third is convert, you know, convert that creation into action and measure those conversions um, and then do it all over. And the biggest thing is set timeframes around those. So don't have a nine month collect period, have a three week collect period in digital banks and fintechs. A lot of times they're working on two week sprints for yes. their technology. So set defined time periods around the the uh, collect, create, and convert, and iterate and improve. You know, uh, over the year, you'll get a lot more done that way if you kind of just are constantly tweaking in a methodical way versus having a three year plan on on building a retention program. That's a great way to wrap this up. Collect, create, convert. Very very practical advice that someone who is watching or listening can apply today, even with a two week sprint. I want to send them off something to just, you know, maybe even smaller, maybe even more practical. Cause if we're thinking about nudging, what's one small thing that, that someone watching or listening can do today to optimize their account holder retention strategy. Look at the first three emails you're sending. And if you're not sending three emails, send three and look at making sure you're introducing your people, you know, putting a human face to your brand, your solutions to their products, to, to their problems. And a lot of times that is product based. And then in those kind of first three touch points to interject um, some sort of activity that they're actually engaging. My favorite is to simply turn anything into a quiz. It sounds simple, but almost no one does it. The, uh, you know, some big brands do it, yep. uh, you know, morning brew, big newsletter does it places like that, you know, have fun with that. That's what your, your audience, your members, your customers are going to engage with at the end of the day. So I think try to keep that simple engaging. I think that's the key word right there. It is engagement. Engagement is, will naturally lead or a byproduct of engagement is going to be retention because yep. when one is engaged, actively engaged, physically taking an action. Even if it's as small as engaging with a quiz on an email, it increases the propensity for ongoing retention for an yeah. extended period of time. Kelly, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for joining me for the podcast. What is the best way for someone to reach out, connect with you, say hello, continue the discussion that we started here today? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. You can look me up there, Kelly Robert Chambers. Um, also, my website is kellythewriter.com. I have a retention program. It's just slash retention after that. Um, I do strategy and then I do a lot of writing with with clients as well. So Kelly, the writer, kellythewriter.com forward slash retention. This has been such a great conversation, Kelly. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Thank you so much. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.